Good evening, and thank you all for joining with us this evening. And as Alex has said, our passage this evening is in Psalm chapter 1 and the first verse. But I would like to read Psalm 1 with you. If you have the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page number 448. And if you just want to listen, that is also most appropriate. But before I actually read it to you, can I just give you a little bit of background? You may be wondering why we are starting a book on the Psalms on a one-off Psalm. And if you were here last Sunday morning, you'll have heard that our program for the incoming two years is on the theme of like a tree, like a tree planted by the water. And you'll find that in verse number three of Psalm number one. And so therefore, what we are actually doing in these Sunday evenings over the incoming couple of weeks, the next four weeks to be exact, is that we are looking at the theme that we are going to be looking at over the next two weeks, if you like, we're setting up a signpost. Many of you will be familiar with the Psalms, but you may not be familiar with the background to the Psalms. And it's hard to believe that there are 150 Psalms, and if I was to ask somebody at random who wrote the Psalms, they will all tell you, oh, it was probably the Psalmist David. And they would be correct to an extent, because he wrote approximately half of the Psalms, but he didn't write all of the Psalms. There are Psalms going right away back to the time of Moses and others. And so therefore, the 150 books or the 150 Psalms, which are songs, if you like, and Psalm actually means praise, so songs of praise to God, those 150 were written over a period of approximately 1,000 years. And they were then compiled into what we know today as the book of Psalms, hundreds of years ago, before the time of Christ. And whenever they came to compile the book of Psalms, they had to put them into some order. And that's why you have it divided into various books within the Psalm. But they were very, very deliberate in their choice of the first Psalm. I wonder if I could use my imagination for a moment of the conversations that took place to try to decide which one of all of these Psalms would they decide to make as the first Psalm. And they eventually came to Psalm 1. And so what I'd like to do with you is read Psalm 1 with you, and then we will look at a New Testament parallel passage, and then we will look at Psalm 1 verse 1 in more detail. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in all its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind dries away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
and the way of the wicked will perish. Just as a matter of observation, look at the first word, blessed. And look at the last word, perish. And so therefore we're looking at two distinct roots, blessed and perish. What did we do before we had satnav? I know for most of you that's an irrelevant question. What did you do before you had satnav? Well, if you were going down to Cork, and I use that as an example, and you belonged to one of the motoring organizations, you'd have got in touch with the AA, and you'd have asked the AA for a route to Cork. And they'd have given you this dossier, and I'm not exaggerating when it's a dossier, go out onto the road, turn right, tick, and every turn, every way, the whole way down to Cork, marked out. Or you may even have used a map. And the map might have taken you to a certain point. But the problem was when you got near to your destination, you usually had to ask somebody for directions. Okay? Now, when you ask somebody for directions, there's a word or a phrase to look out for. And it's when they say, I'm not sure, but. I'm sure you've come across it. I'm not sure, but. In other words, they're not giving you a direct path. And even worse, they might say, I'm not sure, but if you go further up the road, you're in the right direction, but ask somebody up there. In other words, they don't know. And whenever you come to the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, and you come to this very, very first word, blessed, it is originally, right in its root of the verb, a direction, a pointer. Now, I stress I'm not a Hebrew scholar in any way. I'm a history and historian and so on. But I find it fascinating whenever I'm preparing to look at those who are academics who can tell us what the root of the word means and the greater picture that it brings. I find it opens up Scripture in a way which is fresh and new. And the root for blessed, and it's used a couple of times in the book of Isaiah and other places. In particular, it's used for a king who has lost his way in the book of Isaiah, and he's told to go on that root. The root verb tells him, correct your way, it's that way. That way. And so why does Psalm 1 open with blessed. And the reason it opens with blessed is that it is directing us on our right way. And that is the theme of the Psalms in their totality. They're saying there's one way to go and there's another way. That's why I asked you to focus on the passage which said, or the word that said blessed and the final word of the Psalm which said perish. Because it's quite obvious within that single psalm, there are two directions to be going. So what does it mean, blessed? We use it, and we read it, and we think about it. And it's one of those words that really doesn't touch base with us. Some people say, be happy. And as soon as I say that, it resonates a little song that keeps going through your head, be happy, be happy, be happy. Is that all that it is? Be happy? 
You know, no matter how hard we try and how much we like, we would love to be happy. I can remember one day when I was in work that they got us all around in a, in a group setting and, and they said to us, right, what do you need to really fulfill yourself so you'll be happy in your workplace? I'll never forget it. It, it even embarrasses me to think about it. But they had this ball and they used to toss the ball to people. And when you caught the ball, you had to tell them what you would do to be happy. And these people were coming off with all this extraordinary stuff about what they would do to be happy. And then, of course, somebody tossed it to me. And they said, what would you like to be happy? I said, a pay raise. Oh, you're not allowed that one. A pay raise make me very happy. You see, happiness is something that's it's transient. Everybody's got a different opinion about what it is which would make you happy. So, is blessed simply be happy? Well, let's think of the word. It's a very powerful word. It's actually in the original language a double verb. It's coming with a double punch. It's stressing a point. It's a plurality. It's almost blessed and blessed again and blessed. And they're emphasizing it in this little word, blessed. And it comes with two significant roots to blessedness or to happiness. One is positional. That is where you are positionally. And one is experiential. And that is what you experience. And if you like, those are two big theological terms, but let, let's break them down. What does it mean to be blessed and to be positionally happy? Well, if you look at the psalmist and the Psalms and the Bible, positionally, theologically, you have got to have the right relationship with God before you can be happy. Think about that. In other words, Happiness, positional blessedness, comes because of your relationship with God. In other words, if you want a life which is fulfilling, a life which goes beyond the mediocre, a life which goes beyond the pay rise, if you want something more than that, then it's essential that you have a relationship, a positional relationship with God. It doesn't leave ambiguity. It doesn't say if God exists. It says with God, you have got to have the right position. And as I said last week at the baptism service, if you were here, that we have all positionally, because of sin, fallen away. We don't have a relationship with God because of our sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to deal with the problem of your sin. And if you come to him in simple faith, positionally, you are blessed. And I stress that. Before we engage in anything else that we're going to talk about, this idea of being blessed is how you relate to God. If you're dependent on what you're doing, on what you hope, on what your impression of God is, then I'm sorry positionally, you will never be happy. But if you come to the cross, and you come to the Savior, and you come to Him, 
he opens the route to God. So positionally, blessedness. But what about experience? What about, can you be happy? Now, I must stress here, there's something which is taught in contemporary evangelical circles which is completely theologically incorrect. And that is that if you become a Christian, God will bless you with all the good things and you'll never have a problem in life. And it even goes right down to the extent of people saying, if you give money to the church, or if you give money to a certain preacher, or if you give money to a certain cause, God will blossom that tenfold. That is not what has been talked about here. That is not what is talked about in the Bible. That is false theology. What has been talked about here, an experience of blessedness, of happiness, is what is talked about in the book of Philippians, when Paul talks about God providing all of your needs. What needs? What do I need? The need is met when you need the need. Does that make sense? The need is met when you need the need. In other words, you come to that point in your life, and life is looking very bleak and very dark, and you're saying, Lord, help me. And it's then he steps in. Some of you are possibly have been through that experience, that you're fully aware of what it is like for God to meet that need in its totality. It doesn't make you laughingly happy. You don't go out with a smile on your face, but you know that he meets that need as and when he will need that need. It may be that you've come to a life choice in your life and you don't know what way to go, whether to study this or to do that or to marry someone or, or even more things. But God is available. If you have that positional relationship with him established, then he will be interested in you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you that which is good. He wants to make your life good. It doesn't mean that you will live a life without suffering, without pain, without sickness, without poverty, and I could list. It does not mean that. It means when you are in the situation, God is there with you. I want you to take you to a New Testament story. The Lord Jesus Christ was crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat. The storm came up. The boat was getting battered. Everybody was screaming. They were afraid. But who was in the boat with them to calm the storm? The Lord Jesus Christ. And when you hit the storms of life, and when you hit the decisions in life, and when you hit the big moments in life, He's there in the boat with you. That's what it means to experience the blessedness, the happiness, the contentment. And it's a double, double blessing according to the introduction of the psalm. Blessed is the man. Now, it's not being sexist and leaving out women as a generic term. But it is an individual, the man, 
the person, the man, the woman. This is not a, a statement universally for a group of people. This is for you as an individual. It's something that we have got to sort out personally. And then he goes on to talk about a downward spiral. In case you haven't heard, the Rugby World Cup is on. Yeah? And last night, I was watching a match in which there was a clash of heads. You all know what I'm talking about. In a split second like that, two players collided and one of them received a red card. And then he was sent off. Well, he wasn't given a red card. He was given a yellow card, to be precise. And then he was sent off. And you know what? I cannot get my head around. That player, inadvertently, in a split second, made an error of judgment and injured himself and another player. And the referees had eight minutes to make up their mind whether it was a foul or not. Eight minutes. He had a split second. And they sat there in the control room and they ran this video and they ran that video and they stopped this video and they did this video and they did all that and they talked to each other and said, yeah, that's a foul. Eight minutes left to discuss it. So what they have done is they unpacked what caused the foul. They took their time to break it down into bits as to what caused the foul. And the psalmist does exactly the same thing here in this psalm. He says that man falls. But he just doesn't say he falls. He then starts to talk about how he falls, how things go wrong. And he says he must not do. And he goes through it step by step. And it sounds like he's been repetitious. If you look at it, Look at the text. He says, almost three times, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Sure, you're saying the same thing three times. We got it the first time. No, he's not. He's actually taking it step by step and breaking it down why somebody who has got a positionally right position with God is finding themselves in a situation where they're falling, sinning, or losing their foothold in terms, of their, in terms of their faith. And he says, first of all, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's a picture of somebody listening to what is going on. I am as a retired teacher, retired vice principal. Do you know how many times in my office I had two boys in front of me and one said, he told me to do it. He told me to do it. They listened to unwise counsel. 
They listened to counsel that didn't make sense. The person who was giving the counsel was talking to that person, and he accepted it. And that is the very first picture that you have in this psalm, that the picture is of somebody who positionally is right with God, is starting to listen to what is going on and what has been said in the world around about them. The world around about. They start to listen. They start to take it in. It could be a conversation. It could be something on the internet. It could be something you're watching TV. It could be anything. And you start to, to listen, and you're being influenced, and you're being impacted about but what you listen and goes in. And what happens in the mind eventually becomes behavior. And so there's a warning here right away. Be careful as Christians, as young Christians, as to what you listen to, what counsel you take, how you engage with other people, have a ready answer, be secure in your faith, be ready to debate, yes, but be careful what you listen to, because False counsel, false advice will mean problems in the future. He says, don't, don't walk in it. Don't dander around in it. And, and then he goes on to say that don't stand. Don't stand in the way of sinners. The wicked of verse 1, uh, don't uh, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Those are people who have lost their anchor. The wicked there is referring to those who are no longer or never have had a relationship with God. And when you come to verse which says, don't walk in the way of sinners, it's picking up the picture which you find in Romans chapter 3. And Romans chapter 3 where sin is missing the mark. In other words, you, you've got God's law and you're missing the target. It's an archery term. In other words, you haven't hit the target. You've missed the target. You aren't achieving what God wants you to do. And he says, don't stand amongst people. Don't stand and engage with people who are missing the mark. People who have no idea of what God's standard is. People who have no idea what the Bible teaches. People who have no idea what, what sin is. Missing the mark. And then he says, don't sit. Don't sit with the scoffers. Notice the decline. Remember I said to you at the start as an illustration that they examined the fowl and they broke it down step by step and here it is, they came to the conclusion it's a fowl. And here we have exactly the same situation. The psalmist is saying, step by step, you walk, you stand, and then you sit. You're right in amongst it. You're abiding there. You're living there. You're engrossed in there. That's the picture. From walking, just around, standing, having an interest, sitting right in the midst. Sitting with the scoffer. The scoffer who raises their fist to God. 
The scoffer who says, I have absolutely no time for him. The scoffer who belittles God. And in Second Peter, at the end of it, it tells us about the fact that the world will be full of scoffers. People who tell you your faith is irrelevant. People who tell you that God is irrelevant. People who go on with a life and scoff at you because you stand up to the absolute values of a holy God. And they say, nonsense. And that is the ultimate decline. And he says, blessed is the man who does not, not, walk, sit, scoff. Let me take you to a New Testament passage in, in closing. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Again, and if you have a pure Bible, it's page number 978. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 17. Bearing in mind with what we have just talked about, listen to what Paul says to the Ephesian church and to those believers. Now I say this, this is Paul speaking, and testify in the Lord, in other words, it's coming from God himself, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk in their futility of minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. We could give many pictures in the Bible of that decline. But possibly one of the most vivid is Lot and Abraham. When you read those early chapters of Genesis, when Lot and Abraham come to the point that they realize that in order to sustain their flocks, they're going to have to divide. And Abraham says, Lot, you pick. Now, we don't know why Lot picked, but it may have been better looking ground. And he said, I'll go that way. And he walked that way. And then whenever you get further into the story, you find that Lot has not just walked that way, but you also see that he is standing near to the city of Sodom and all that that represented. He was living near to it. He was living close to it. And when you come to the end of the story, Lot is dwelling in Sodom. He walked, he then stood, he then dwelt. And what was the consequence for Lot? Lot lost absolutely everything. Everything. Can I stress to us ourselves that it is so easy so subtle. 
you find yourself even on the internet or whatever, where you are, that you're, you're looking at something, and before you know it, you've clicked another link, and that link takes you somewhere else, and before you know it, you're in Sodom. Do you dwell there? Do you stay there? Do you live there? Paul says, that's not who you are in Christ. So if you want to be blessed, says the psalmist, have a positional relationship with God, establish your relationship with God, make sure it is right, coming to faith through Jesus Christ. Experience the goodness and the blessings of God in your life at those times that you need them and are unrequired. And do not allow yourself to slip and to fall and to walk, to stand, and eventually to sit. That's why the psalm starts with the word blessed and ends with the word perish. And over the next three to four weeks, we will be looking in more detail at how we can establish ourselves like a tree in a hostile, difficult environment, and how we can live to become that which produces fruit and growth and cover and shelter, and not like they're unrighteous, chaff that blows away in the wind. Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit with the scoffer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, what we have just talked about tonight is relevant to each and every one of us in our Christian life. Our Father, we thank you that for the blessings that come from you. We thank you, our Father, for the blessing of salvation, the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our life, the blessings that you're willing to provide us, those beautiful pictures that we have of you caring and wanting to care for us. But our Father, we pray that we might be like the man who doesn't fall. That we may not be like Lot of old, but that we may stand firm and be like the tree which we are going to examine. Help us, our Father, to stand firm, to be for you in a hostile, difficult world. And so, our Father, we'd ask that you bless our time together in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.